Today we're in some short verses from the book of Mark, chapter 3, Mark 3, 13 through 19. We will read those in a minute. Thank you. Not yet, but in a minute. Great. Thank you. I was thinking when I was reading these verses this week, um, I wanted to ask you a question. If you were going to save the world from destruction, how would you do it? You say you're a highly trained secret agent, and your mission, should you choose to accept it, that never gets old, is to go and save everyone from the planet from a mass, evil mastermind. But how would you go about it? How would you know even where to start? Clearly, you'd need a plan of action, a blueprint of how you were going to proceed. A plan of this magnitude would clearly involve other people. Who would you ask to help you? Expert technicians, top scientists, strong warriors, great communicators, computer people. You have the whole world, people from all over the world to help you. These people will need to be courageous because it, you know, might not end well. After all, the world's in peril and the danger is real for those who are going to help you solve it. Of course, to answer these questions, one would need to know the type of threat that was happening. At home, we've been playing an intense game called Pandemic Legacy. A cooperative game where our whole family is working to save the planet, not from one but four deadly viruses that have broken out and are simultaneously uh, hurting the world. So because we're working as a team, we either all win or all lose at the end of the game. In the game, each player takes on the role of a character, and each character has, of course, different benefits and flaws. The scientists might find a cure faster than the other characters, but the dispatcher can move anyone out of harm's way. Often, when we win or lose as a family, we can trace why back to the characters that we chose, that you have to choose before the game starts. Today, we see the next steps that Jesus takes to save the world from the sin and the evil which was destroying humankind. He's been sent on a huge mission, and it's a personal one because these are his created ones, the ones that he loves. And for this mission to succeed, he chooses people to be on his team that, who will invest with him by joining their lives to his. This is a big decision, and here is how Peter remembers it. Mark three thirteen through 19. He went up the mountain and called to him those whom he wanted, and they came to him. And he appointed twelve, whom he also named apostles, to be with him, and to be sent out to proclaim the message, and to have authority to cast out demons. So he appointed the twelve, Simon, to whom he gave the name Peter, James, son of Zebedee, and his brother John, to whom he gave the name Boanerges, which means sons of thunder, Andrew, Philip, Bartholomew, Matthew, Thomas, James, son of Alphaeus, Thaddeus, Simon the Zealot, and Judas Iscariot, who betrayed him. Father God, please bless this opening of your word. May your spirit dwell richly within us and speak to us words of life. Amen. We understand this passage by better uh, also referencing the other places in the gospel where we see Jesus choosing his disciples. Luke tells us that Jesus stayed up all night praying before he asked certain disciples to serve in this way. Here in Mark, Jesus gives them the jobs of being with him 
of preaching and driving out demons. In Matthew, he also says they have the authority to heal diseases. When we look at these words with the rest of Mark, we remember from last week how the crowds were pushing in on Jesus. We talked about how there was a multitudinous multitude. So it's time for others to help Jesus so he can better uh, meet the needs around him. He's commissioning his followers so they will have the power to carry out his plan so his mission might be successful. And unbeknownst to the twelve, The strategy is also designed to be for the future, for what has been set in motion will continue until Jesus comes again. So we're going to look at a few strategies that Jesus employs here, reminders of who and how we serve as we continue the mission he began. First, let's think about how Jesus is specific in his actions. As uh, we read about what he's doing here, we need to remember how Jesus works overall. He is very deliberate in how he goes about his mission. You might even say he's methodical. Think about it. In connection with the Father and the Spirit, he chooses the place and the time and the family to be born into. Being planned long ago, there are prophecies about it. He chooses to receive who will receive the message and when. He chooses who he will be in a specific community, in a certain part of the world, in a certain time frame. He chooses the moment he goes into ministry and the places where he will announce who he is and why he has been sent, even choosing the scripture to read in the synagogue that undergird his arrival. As we see him choosing those who are going to help him, one statement that we should be able to say is that God is not random. When we read of Jesus' life from all four perspectives, sometimes we can get the idea that he haphazardly goes about his day choosing where to go, but then kind of interacting and, you know, oh, this person came here and he didn't know or whatever. And the truth of the matter is, I would say that Jesus knew exactly where he was going. And the father who sent him had everything planned and everything under control. He didn't just fall into a situation where people ultimately led him to the cross. The will of God is paramount in all things. As we read about the 12 who are commissioned to help, we need to ask ourselves why we sometimes think God is ever random in how he deals with us. How could we think that we would ever lose our way if we are following him and being in tune with what it is that he is doing We have free will, of course, and he doesn't simply, though, just react to how we experience our life here. In verse 13, it says, Jesus went up the mountainside. He called himself. He summoned those that he wanted to call. He is working out his will in what is being lived out. Jesus is in charge. For us today, I hope that that brings us a measure of comfort that it doesn't threaten us, that we don't feel, ah, I don't know what that means or I can't find him. Jesus will absolutely help us in every step of what it is that he calls us to do. We also see here that people are chosen for how God wants to use them. People don't select themselves as leaders and tell God what it is that they're going to do. In the multitudes, in the interactions that Jesus is having with people, he is paying attention We know from scripture that these have been with him for a while. He's already asked them to follow him. The next step 
for them, we see now, is Jesus going out ahead of them, pulling them more into his life and what he has for them to do. While his followers live out the mission, a key piece of his plan is developing them in their gifting and their spiritual formation. We call this discipleship. We see it clearly in the lives of the 12 apostles. We see it in our lives as we grow and mature and become more like Christ. People who follow Jesus are transformed. They're changed. They become more than who they thought they could be as they live out the mission that he has given them to do. This is brilliant. This is Jesus 101 because his plan is that we are never stagnant in our growth with him. When we follow God, he will change and develop us to be more like him. That's part of his mission. These people thought that they were just being sent out, but really his plan was that they were going to be changed. So how do you see that right now in your life? How are you growing? Where is the Lord calling you and using you in a way that you're being stretched beyond what you think you can do. That's him changing you into his likeness. If you're not growing right now, you're kind of stagnant. That doesn't have to be the case. Seek the Lord and ask him where it is that he wants you to grow. Growing as we serve. Next we see here that Christianity begins in a group. Our faith begins in community. First, we see God in community and the Trinity. Then we see it with the children of Israel today as the church. Our faith begins as the Lord calling people by name and using them, who they are and how they're uniquely wired to spread the good news. And we see how Christ's love and work binds us together, that we live in fellowship as we worship and as we serve. We support one another in the joys and the sorrows, and celebrate and mourn together. The Christian faith is not a solo endeavor. That's why unity is so important. I was thinking when people tell the stories of their life, they always tell it in the context of other people with whom they have shared their life. They might talk about their family growing up. They might talk about innovative things they did with coworkers in a certain project they were doing. They might talk about how they bonded with neighbors over raising kids or how they went through a traumatic time with a specific group of friends. People are held together by those with whom they went to school or competed in sports or played uh, in a musical group with or maybe served in the military. You see, there's, there are bonds that we make when we accomplish something together in a group. It's always in community where God makes the most impact for good through us as people and where we find the deepest impact for our souls. People coming together for a common purpose, finding joy and growing in love for one another, working out their differences so each person can uniquely use their gifts. Whenever you see that, that is the community that God has made us for as humans. He has built us to be together. In your life, think about the most impactful times that you had with other people and how that might have only lasted for a season, but for how it was so meaningful for you, how you did such good work with the other people that you were with, how it was good. That is God. 
We give God great, great praise for that. The apostles chosen here form a bond on which the church is built. And those strong connections are vital to the church today. There are three things that uh, Jesus, uh, Mark tells us that Jesus is going to have them do here. The first thing is to be with Jesus. Verse 14, we almost miss it when we think about healing demons and all those other kinds of things. Jesus invites us to be with him. We're asked to be part of God's life, to accompany him wherever he goes. What of God of love we have who invites us to be part of his life? That is his first priority for us, just to spend time, just to be. Secondly, it says we're to preach the word, that all of us are to go and use words and actions to speak words of life in various ways, to be witnesses of Christ's life in us. Second, thirdly, it says to drive out demons. In Jesus' time and still today, evil shows up in demonic oppression. People who have discernment can feel evil when they walk into a room or when they see it. Exorcisms are needed sometimes for people to be free. And that looks like lots of different things. God's people are meant to bring his light and freedom wherever they go to call out oppression as he leads and with his authority. Yesterday, I mentioned that we had a service for Rachel Icola's mom, Margaret. She was a deep, deep woman of prayer. She was a woman who spent time daily and was very in tune with the Lord and then tuned into other people because of it. During open sharing, one of the granddaughters stood up and said how years before she had been having anxiety about something in her life. This was not normal for her. It was circumstantial for what was going on. She said, I didn't even tell people about it. I was just trying to struggle through it and live through it. And it was very, very hard. And she said, one day I got a card from my grandmother and, you know, she was, she was just, you know, sending some money for my birthday and, oh, you know, I love you or whatever. And she said, then she wrote this PS and she said, she's never done it before. And she's never done it since she wrote PS. Jesus is there to help you in this situation you're facing. And the granddaughter said, whoa, all of a sudden I just felt like God's strength and power came over me. And she said, I felt like I was healed from my anxiety. And she said, I knew my grandmother was praying for me. A truth offered in grace can do so much. All of us have times when we're bound by some kind of sin or oppression. And the mission of the church is to help bring freedom for those who are experiencing that weight. Finally, those who follow Jesus go in his authority. The preaching of the word and the healing acts are meant to be done with the authority of Jesus, not our own power, not our own thoughts, not things that we ourselves manufacture. Those who are being chosen do not go out on their own accord. They are sent. And people will know Jesus because of what they do. That is the point. Each one who calls themselves Christian is meant to reflect Jesus wherever they go. So let's think about just for a second some of the witnesses that we see listed here. We don't know them, but we know they're a varied group. A tax collector who would have been an outcast. A zealot who would have been part of a fiery nationalist group. The fishermen. The brothers who would ask Jesus for inappropriate power. Peter, the loud and impetuous one. Andrew, his quiet but welcoming brother. 
John, who would become his beloved friend, Thomas, who doubted and it was okay, Philip, who would be taken to go lead an Ethiopian man to God, Judas, usually last on every list, with the eternal tagline of betrayer, but still Jesus wanted him on his team. None perfect. Some of them not even noteworthy enough to be listed or known about in other places. All will face trial and temptations. All will fall short of God's glory, but all chosen. We see in their humanity what we know about them, but what becomes important is how their witness reflects Christ. They had the courage to follow. They said yes to God, who was already getting in trouble with the establishment. Jesus will use anyone who is available and who trusts in him. Just like we are more important to the Lord than what we do, he is more important than what he asks us to do. He is the point of all a witness does. The Messiah was sent to save the world. And he chooses those that he needs to help him to accomplish that mission. These 12 had no idea, really, what they were signing up for. We, too, when we sign up with the Lord, have no idea what it is that we are going to be doing or how our lives will go. But our lives are forever changed when we're asked to join and be part of Christ's life. In every generation, Jesus calls out of the multitude those who will go with him to fulfill the mission. It is an ongoing work until Jesus comes again of good and of evil. Doing God's work together sustains us and changes us and changes the world in beautiful ways. We usually think of the church starting in Acts 2 when the Holy Spirit comes on the believers. Yet here is the beginning of the roots of the church, the continuation of God's work throughout history. Sometimes it's been communicated that as Christians, our mission is to be good people who don't sin. That is not true. And as we have faced difficult days, and as difficult days are going to be more and more upon us, we need to remember that the mission of the church is to be witnesses of the Lord, people who live intentionally with him, who do the work that he has given us to do, to make him known and to bring freedom to people. So how are we joining in that work? What would Christ say to you this morning? Let us pray.